We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here with Jason Pat. This is our first show of 2020, New Year, same Bulls. The Bulls (laughs) have not won in the new calendar year yet. They've played two games. I was there on Thursday night when they dropped a close game to the Jazz, 102-98 at home. Last night, the Celtics come to town on the back half of a back-to-back. They were playing without their best player, Kemba Walker. Seemed like an opportunity for the Bulls to win. As Stefan No noted, the money line actually changed where the Bulls were favored in this game late uh, before tip-off. But uh, Boston, big third quarter. The Bulls try to make a comeback in the fourth. They can't complete it. Boston wins 111-104. So the Bulls are now 13-23 and 23 on the season. They are three games out of the eight seed in the Eastern Conference, which belongs to the Magic, at only 16-20. and 20. Jason, the Bulls have a golden opportunity for the rest of this year to make the playoffs. If that's really you know what they want to do this season, as they said at the onset of the year, the Magic, currently the eight seed, they're going to be without one of their best players, Jonathan Isaac, in all-defensive team caliber forward, who sprained his knee and is going to be out two months. You have a team who the Bulls are tied with in the Detroit Pistons, who are rumored to be trading Andre Drummond, one of their best players, because he is reportedly going to opt out of his deal at the end of the season. So they want to see if they can get something in return for him before he leaves in free agency. This is totally opening up for the Bulls, Jason, but I look at the remaining schedule, and according to Tankathon, the Bulls have the fourth hardest remaining schedule in the NBA and the hardest remaining schedule in the Eastern Conference. So we talked, you know, throughout the season about how the start of the Bulls schedule was really easy. The Bulls could not capitalize on it. Uh, now you're in a position where the Bulls have to rally to make up ground in the second half of the season. They should be able to do it because none of these teams fighting for the eight seed are any good at all. But here's the thing: neither are the Bulls. Yeah, that's right. And uh, like 
they had we had a, a, there was a lot of talk about how the Bulls were playing better in December. They went seven and seven, whatever. They obviously did not end December on a good note when they got smashed by the Bucks because the Bucks are just way better than them. But yeah, I mean, one of the whole, a big theme again is the Bulls have not been able to beat good teams. They haven't really had that many opportunities in this first part of the year because they were doing the bum sling again. The big part of that December was they like they beat up on the Hawks and they beat up on the the Pistons, like you mentioned, who've been super hurt, and they beat up on some of these other bad teams. And now the start of this the, the last week or so, they've started playing good teams again, and they cannot beat them. I believe they are now one in fourteen against teams with above five hundred records. That one win was that uh, the Clippers game where the Clippers did not have Kawhi Leonard. Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams. If those guys play, the Bulls probably probably lose that game. The Bulls have gotten tons of breaks with the schedule as well. I mean, it hasn't just been like easy in terms of the opponent. They've had they've like the the Hawks are terrible, but in all three Hawks games they played the Hawks. The Hawks were on a second of a back to back, and no Trey Young in the last game. This game last night, the Celtics are really good, obviously, but second of a back to back where they had just played a tough game against the Hawks the night before. They had to travel. Uh, they have no Kemba Walker. And the Bulls lose that game, and there have been other games where they've they've ducked, uh, ducked the, some of the other team's best players. I know Otto Porter's out, but the Bulls have actually had pretty good injury luck for the most part. Because if you look pe- beyond the Porter injury, like all their best players have played basically every game this season. Now Larry Markkinen did injure his ankle last night. Uh, it has been, I believe, Casey Johnson said that it is a sprain. There will be more updates later today, Sunday. So that'll be, that'll come after we're done recording. Hopefully it's not too bad, but it happened late in the game in the fourth quarter against the Celtics. Uh, I think Marcus Smart like rolled on his ankle really bad. Just it looked pretty bad. Hopefully it's not too bad because Lowry has been playing better lately. But yeah, overall, yeah, the Bulls just are not taking advantage of this opportunity at all in this terrible Eastern t- Conference. Whether you actually want them to make the playoffs if they win like 35 games, I know we've talked about this as well. Like whether you want them to actually like back their way in or just kind of or actually earn it. I mean, whatever. I'd rather they actually earn a playoff spot and not get in with like 33 wins and have them think that it's some like big accomplishment. But either way, I mean, right now it's looking like they won't get in because they're 13 and 23. They can't beat good teams, and they've been and they've and their schedule is getting a lot harder. Yeah, this is also like a historically bad race for the Eastern Conference eighth seed. I don't know what the lowest number of wins is, but we did a column on this by Tom Ziller at SBNation.com just about how weak the number eight seed is in both conferences both, this yeah. year. And if you look at the West right now, it'd be Portland at 15 and 21, getting in with the eight seed in the West. That's pretty ridiculous given how strong that conference has been from top to bottom for the last, oh, 15 years or so. Uh, I just would have no. F- like, I, I would not feel good at all if the Bulls get in with, like, 34 wins. Like, that's an incredibly embarrassing number to be making the playoffs for. What we're seeing right now is basically six good teams in the East. And in the West, I mean, maybe Oklahoma City, who now sits at 20-15. and 15, They're the seventh seed in the West. Maybe you say there's seven good teams in the West. But really, there's six good teams in both conferences. Uh, the Bulls, I want, I want to sort of transition this into how they've been playing on the defensive end lately, because, Jason, I'm curious for your thoughts. The sort of media circle that we're both in has been highly critical of Boylan's defensive schemes throughout the year, blitzing the pick and roll. It's given up a lot of open corner threes, a lot of easy shots at the rim when they failed to rotate. It has to be noted that right now the Bulls have the number five defense in the NBA. They're allowing 105.1 points per possessions. I believe they were up to number three, actually, before the Celtics game. 
You look at the offensive end, and the offense has been an absolute abomination. They're number 28 out of 30 teams in offensive efficiency. Jason, you might remember that we had a podcast at the beginning of the season, right before it started, where I guessed that the Bulls would have a better offensive efficiency (laughs) ranking than a defensive efficiency ranking. That has not come to fruition at all. We saw Chris Dunn get some love for his defensive ability in a Zach Lowe column this week. Uh, Chris Dunn's been awesome defensively. The The defining play of last night's game to me was Chris Dunn putting Jason Tatum in a straitjacket on a late-game possession and Tatum hitting a step-back three right in his eye that was an absolutely incredible move and an incredible shot by Tatum. Uh, defensively, though, are we starting to trust the Bulls' defense? Do you still think it's a paper tiger? Uh, sort of what do you make of how they're performing defensively in the stats? So I would not say they're a paper tiger. Clearly, they're a pretty good defensive team. They still do have. I mean, they, in this last week, they have not been as good. They still they're great at forcing turnovers. That's something we definitely know. I think the Celtics had like 19 last night. They consistently force a lot of turnovers. The Celtics did also shoot over 50. percent The Bucks absolutely torched them. Uh, the Jazz were just okay offensively, but they were still their efficiency was still I think at like 108 or 109. So against these better teams lately, uh, the Bulls' defensive efficiency has slipped back. So I do think some of that like really high defense. Defensive rating was a function of playing some of these awful teams and playing teams without their star players. But I do think the Bulls do deserve credit. I, w- I will give Boylan some credit for getting this team to play defense. There was, a, I think Casey did a good, ar- good article last week, some good quotes from Wendell Carter Jr. talking about how they kind of trust the scheme more now and how it t- did take some time for them to get used to it. Because obviously, I mean, it, it's kind of a helter-skelter thing with the way they're blitzing and the way they have to, they have to be on top of their rotations. But they've been doing. They've been playing it a lot better lately. Again, against these better teams, it has slipped a bit lately, and we've saw we saw some. We've seen some key breakdowns at key situations in that Jazz game. Uh, I think it was while the Bulls played good defense to make that late comeback. There was a. They had a couple bad possessions late. Levine got called for a questionable foul, and then there was that possession where the, Rudy Gobert got an easy dunk because they blitzed the pick and roll. Nobody rotated over, and it was just easy dunk. With nice little pass from Joe Ingles. So they still do have some of these breakdowns at inopportune times. But then you mentioned Chris Dunn, like he he's been fantastic, like legitimate game changing defense. Like he's always been known as more of a defensive guy because his offense really sucks and. One one like takeaway from the Bucks game was the Bucks playing like ten feet off Chris Dunn and him just not being able being able to do that. But he has been great defensively. If you look at some of the the RPM numbers at ESPN, he's like I think third or fourth in like d- defensive RPM. Yeah, right now he's third behind Kawhi and LeBron, and and then Jimmy Butler's right after him. Tatum's fifth. So he's been like he's been a great defensive player. I think he's taking a huge step up. I think last year I feel like he took a step back defensively. Maybe he wasn't healthy. Maybe it was just because the team was such a hot mess and he just wasn't having a good season. But he's definitely bought in just fully on that on the defensive end. And you mentioned the Zach Lowe article and he kind of highlighted just like he never lets guys get around screens easy. He's always up in their grill. He's out, he obviously gets a lot of steals. He gets a lot of deflections. He's near the top of the league in those deflections and those hustle stats and the steal stats. Yeah, game-changing defensively. Wendell's been really solid defensively as as that backline anchor. I mean, I think you could say Zach's even been d- better defensively as well. Like I said, I don't think he'll ever be like a plus defender. So, yeah, I think the Bulls do, do deserve some credit for this defense. I don't think it's as good as it is, but I think it's not, also not terrible. Because, I mean, there's some teams out there, some of these other bad teams out there have legitimately just pathetic, embarrassing defenses. The Bulls play hard defensively. And they're a decent defensive team. At least I would think so. Yeah, it's like a classic underdog strategy, right? Blitz in the pick yeah. and roll, trying to cause havoc because you know you're not as talented as the other team. I can't wait to see till Boylan goes to the full court press. I know that he constantly bemoans 
the lack of playing time. I guess only smart teams do that, like the Raptors. Nick Nurse has been deploying a full court press a little bit. Uh, looking at Chris Dunn's stats on Basketball Reference, this is the third straight year he has a forty-eight percent true shooting percentage. <laughs> that bad. is awful. Fifty-five percent yeah. is about average there. But Dunn also leads the NBA in steal rate. Right? I don't know where he is in raw steals or steals per game. I know he's near the he's top right of the towards board. the top. Yeah. Uh, but 4% steal rate, so that's pretty incredible. He almost is the same profile as Tony Allen at this point, where uh, he's essentially playing the three for the Bulls right now, right? Like, they're starting Levine, Sato, and Chris Dunn because both of their wings are out with Otto Porter and Chandler Hutchison. We thought wing depth was an issue coming into the season, and that has definitely reared its ugly head. This isn't second-guessing. This was first-guessing, where... Pretty much everyone unanimously agreed that wing death was going to be a big issue. Well, now you have a scenario where Chris Dunn, who should be a point guard, is playing the three, but he's doing a really good job in terms of his defensive versatility. I think that he's shown that he can lock up bigger defenders. He did a nice job on Tatum and a decent job on Brown yesterday. Those guys still got their points. Uh, But, you know, Dunn's battling as hard as he can, given the circumstances. To me, he's been one of the few really bright spots on the team this season has been his defensive makeup. Now, let's transition this into the way Boylan managed both his rotations and his timeouts yesterday against Boston. He burned his last timeout on Markkinen's injury, which happened with just over four minutes left in the fourth quarter when Marcus Smart landed on his ankle. The fact that he only had one timeout left at that point, I think he used a second-to-last timeout at like nine minutes left. He burned them all in the third quarter. After the game, he says, I'm not worried about burning my timeouts because we prepare to play without any timeouts. I'm not scared to play without timeouts. Well, uh, calling timeouts late in games is for cowards. The Bulls are not ready to advance the ball or to you know try to take advantage of an end-of-game situation following where they could have maybe had the opportunity to do that against Boston. So timeout situation for Boylan has been, to me, an issue the entire season. There's no doubt about that. It's one of his weakest points as a coach, and he has a lot of weak points. And then you have the rotation, which to me has been another weak point. Uh, I have wanted to see Thad Young at small forward throughout the year. I think Boylan would probably respond by saying they haven't had enough time to practice it. So it's hard to sort of get those things in gear. But we did see Thad Young play a little bit of the three yesterday as Boylan goes with an eight-man rotation. Typically, he's been playing, what, 10 or 11 guys. So going with an eight-man rotation is really shortening it. I actually like that idea uh, because you got to win, right? Like, if the goal is the playoffs and if the Magic are bad and without one of their best players and the Pistons are in shambles and Charlotte, who actually won last night, but... Uh, that's not a team you should be scared of. Like, yeah, shorten the rotation. Like, this is your season. This is your time to make up ground. So I like that. But the players were pretty critical after the game. A few of them said uh, they gave quotes to Darnell Mayberry, who wrote a really good notebook today in The Athletic about how difficult it was adjusting to the new rotations. So just any takes on that, Jason, on the timeout management, the rotation management? Uh, what did you see there? I mean, the timeout thing has been something that has been harped on over and over again. And I mean, what a ridiculous answer! Like, I, I, we like no fear, like not having timeouts. Like, it's not about that at all. Like, it's about just having them in your back pocket when you need it. We saw the the Bulls won a game this year against that Wizards comeback because they had that timeout at the end. And I think that was right after was it the I think that came right after the Thunder game where they did not have that late timeout and that helped them lose that comeback against the Wizards right after Bradley Beal hits that 
looked to be game winner with what was that point two left. If they don't have a timeout, that game is over. Instead, they had the timeout. They advance the ball. They get the foul call. Zach Levine hits free throws. They go win in overtime. Like they won a game because of having that timeout at the end. So to talk about whatever the nonsense about I'm not scared to have no timeouts. I mean that just all just stupid, goofy nonsense. Like. He's just got to be better at it. He hasn't been good at it since he was the head coach. It's something I I, I don't even know what to say about it at this point. It's just dumb. It's He's got to be better about it. The rotation stuff, I also do kind of agree that, I mean, the bench has been awful lately. Uh, like, really, really bad. Like, when Kobe White's basically not hitting three-pointers, like, the bench just can't score at all. I mean, and you mentioned playing Thad Young more. The Thad Young thing is super weird because he's been kind of low-key trash this season, I feel like, like especially compared to last season. His I don't know if that's percentage it, is at like forty eight percent as well. Yeah, yeah, he can't. Like, he's like his finishing around the rim has 46. been bad. I know, like there have been issues. You could say like how they've used them just like isn't the same as how he's been used before. Like he's been kind of playing more of like a floor spacer role, and that's not really his thing. And that kind of winds with him winds up with him just kind of th- running around and throwing up crappy looks. See, like I feel like he's had a lot of just like running floaters that have like got nothing but air. And in th- that Bucks game when the Bulls went down big in the third quarter, they started to make a little run. Towards the end of the third quarter, Thad Young airballed a three-pointer, and then had a fast break where he just was not. It was like a two or three, two or three like on one fast break, and he throws up this little like weird floater instead of like going up strong and missed it. Bucks come down, they end up winning by twenty. Like he's just had a really strange season. There have been the rumors that he's not happy with his role. He's not playing enough. Uh, he did play twenty-seven minutes last night, but he was one of the guys who mentioned uh, the thing about how uh, just like the toughness about getting used to these rotations. Which I guess, I think it's fine. Sure, like we don't need to see that much. Like I understand putting in like Ryan Archidiakono for like hustle. Like if you need like a spark off the bench, play Ryan Archidiakono. Like I guess you could play Denzel a little more. But he after his hot start, he's been hot trash. So like with Porter out, like just play your best guys. Like you said at this point, like you need wins when you're playing against these good teams. You gotta play Larry Markin more. I know he's hurt now, but like he's only been playing like well like. 29 30 minutes a game i think kc again wrote a column the other day he's got to be playing more chris dunn played 40 last night sadaransky played 40 last night levine played 38 like i don't know if that's tenable playing like those three all these guys like 40 minutes a game but like i have really have no problem shortening the rotation to eight maybe nine guys you definitely don't need to go 10 11 like Boylan was doing before yeah i noticed the bench being bad too i don't have any numbers in front of me but kobe has just been really struggling lately his game is all jumpers off the dribble like if those shots are falling he's effective if they're not falling he doesn't add value in any other part of the game which is my biggest concern with him right now he certainly isn't a plus passer defensively i think he he usually gets in the right spot yeah, i think he's all right yeah. he's not strong enough uh he's not long enough he was someone who you know in the draft he was taller than his wingspan his height was bigger than his wingspan so uh, <clears throat> he's going to be limited just because of his physical tools on that end of the floor. He really needs to improve as a passer and just find a way to consistently be able to probe the defense, get to the rim, get to the foul line a little bit, and be able to make easy shots. I actually hate the way Kobe has been playing in the pick and roll lately. All he's doing is kind of like snaking his way to the middle and shooting like an 18-foot fadeaway. That's not going to be good moving forward. So uh, that's something that the Bulls are going to have to straighten out. They really need to get Markinen healthy because Markinen in December was actually pretty solid. Here's my other thing with Markinen, though, is he hasn't gotten any better. Like, you look at his numbers, and on the year, for every year of his career, 55% true shooting percentage, that's average. Uh, 
you'll see his free throw rate increase a little bit this year, but looking at the rest of his statistics, 1.4 steal rate, pathetic. 8.7 assist rate, pathetic. 1.7 block rate, pathetic. He's also rebounding at the lowest rate of his career right now with an 11.5% rebound rate. Last year, he was over 15%. So uh, he just isn't improving as a player. Like Basically, the guy he's been since he's entered the league is the guy he's remained. This has been the biggest problem area with both Levine and Markkinen is that neither of them has improved on their weaknesses, right? Like Levine has doubled down on his strengths, and I think that you know last night he was awesome. He had 14 free throw attempts, which is a career high. He was splashing threes, just such a dynamic scorer off the dribble. But still, you know, the same problems rear their head. The last two games against the Jazz and against the Celtics, crunch time shot selection, just not good enough. To me, he definitely has to be used off the ball. Like, ideally, his perfect role is as a secondary option, running off screens off the ball where he doesn't have to make a lot of high-level decisions. We saw the Timberwolves play him at point guard his rookie year. He played 94% of his minutes at point point guard his rookie year. Since then, he's exclusively been a shooting guard or even a small forward. And according to the play-by-play stats at Basketball Reference, the Bulls have played Levine at small forward 62% of the time this year. You know, maybe it's hard, difficult to categorize that when him and Chris Dunn are on the floor at the same time. To me, Dunn is really playing the three. Uh, But you could also say that, you know, it's Levine just based on how they stack up positionally. So, you know, Levine hasn't gotten better on defense. His crunch time decision-making is bad. He needs to be more of a Clay Thompson role to me uh, in terms of, like, running off screens, running off the ball. But the issue is that they don't have anyone who can initiate the offense. It's certainly not going to be Kobe White at age 19. So uh, tough situation for the Bulls. And, you know, I, I do think that they still have enough talent to make the playoffs. But the problem is they have a shitty coach. Like, if they had a better coach, they would have a lot more wins this year. I really believe that. Yeah, I mean, we've harped on that a lot. Just to the points you made about Kobe White, he—I know he admitted he like hit a rookie wall in December, and he was—he had a recent semi-stretch where he was okay. But again, it's basically all just based on if he's hitting his jumpers. But yeah, he is not overall. The him and the bench have really struggled. Yeah, and to the points about Lowry and Zach, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, like you mentioned, like if you look at their numbers, they just we we were expecting jumps out of them this year, and we just haven't seen it. Like you look at like Zach's numbers, and I know like there's gonna be like an all-star push for him with the game in Chicago, but I mean his numbers are he like I, almost they're like identical from last year. Like his scoring rate is like a little higher, like per 36. His overall efficiency is down, his assists are down, but his turnovers are the same, and that doesn't always tell the whole picture there. But just looking at the basic stats. Not that great, I don't, and I don't have these stats in front of me. But he overall, I know he played great last night against the Celtics. But overall, his performance against teams over five hundred has not been good. Like his just his efficiency has been way down compared to like the bum slaying teams. So like he doesn't really deserve it. When you look at just there's only twelve spots on I think twelve spots on the All Star roster. I think he was like fifth in these initial voting, uh, fan voting. And I'm and I'm not really surprised. Like the games in Chicago, big market. I mean, Zach Levine has cool highlights. He had that game against the Hornets. I feel like a lot of people saw that. So like, oh yeah, let's vote Zach Levine for All Star, and Bulls fans will vote for him. But yeah, I mean, right now I just don't think he deserves it. He's thirteen. They're thirteen and twenty three. He really hasn't gotten better from last season. So it's it's tough to say that he deserve, he deserves to be an All Star on, on an underachieving team. So. Yeah, tough situation with the Bulls. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not great right now. It's nice at least that they've been mostly more competitive. I know they got blown out by the Bucks. Like they've played better. A lot of these better teams, at least closer. But we still see all these problems with execution down the stretch. Uh, so yeah, it's it's just tough. And they're gonna be in this eight eight this 
race for the eight seed probably all season just because, like you mentioned, all these other teams aren't any good and they're, or, and they're injured and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, they'll be there. They'll have these chances. I just don't know if they're going to be able to take advantage of it, right? So far, they haven't. Yeah, and I don't think I mentioned this yet. Maybe I did. Correct me if I'm wrong. But right now, looking at Tankathon, the Bulls are seventh in the lottery oh, yeah. standing. So <laughs> just cursed energy for the Chicago Bulls season all the way around. Uh, they're staying in it long enough for management to perhaps think they're taking steps forward. But at the end of the day, they're 10 games under 500 at the beginning of January. That's awful. That's not where they were supposed to be coming into this year. They're only winning 36% of their games. They've had the easiest schedule in the entire freaking league to this point. Uh, and if they get the seventh pick in the draft, again, like I don't know what ownership needs to see to finally fire everyone, which we've been pleading for for how many years at this point. But this has to be it. This has to be the time because the seventh pick for the fourth year in a row, you are just doing such a disservice to a proud, loyal fan base. I was at the Jazz game. Uh, I got tickets from Andy Barons, who is the Yahoo fantasy football writer. I had amazing seats. We were in the third row of the 100 level behind the basket. We got the uh, the thunder sticks to try to distract oh, the yeah. other team during the free throw. <laughs> the crowd was loud the whole game. It's not like the Jazz of any sort of rivalry with the Bulls or that there was any reason uh, for people to be showing up to that game. But it was a fun game. The Bulls were competitive throughout. Uh, we had the great Markinen poster dunk on Rudy Gobert in the first quarter. That was really fun. But, you know, third quarter collapse, same issues we keep seeing with the Bulls. And uh, I think it comes back to Boylan. If the Bulls had Monty Williams as their head coach, I think that, you know, they might be in the eighth seed right now. Uh, But instead, Boylan is just not very good. And it's continuing to cost the Bulls during a season when they were supposed to make a step forward. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Let's let's do let's maybe go back to some happier moments since it is the new year and a new decade. We are now in 2020. Let's go. Let's try to re- just wrap up here and talk about some of our favorite moments from the past decade of Bulls basketball. Was, if you remember, l- way back in the day in 2010, uh, the Bulls de- this Bulls decade actually started off super promising. They had a uh, Derrick Rose was on the rise, and they had the bench mob and Thibs and all that fun stuff. Uh, and that was back when actually the Bulls were actually fun to watch. And it's been a long time since then. So, Ricky, give me some of your – you don't have to, like, rank anything unless you have a ranking. Just give me, some, give me some of your favorite Bulls moments from this past decade. Yeah, you have a list here. I think we could probably just run through that list. But yeah. uh, a few that pop off off the top of my head, the Bulls ending the Heat's winning streak. I think it was at oh, 27 yes. games. It was the yeah. longest winning streak, I think, of the modern era, or at least besides for the long Rockets one maybe with, uh, you know, the T-Mac Yao era. Uh, that's a game that immediately jumps to mind. Just all of those regular season Bulls-Heat games were just so much fun. I think the Bulls went 3-0 and against the Heat off the top of my head in the regular season during the first year of the Heat's existence. They played them really well the next year. I'm vividly remembering a game where D. Rose was injured, came back, shot like 1-10 of 10 from the field, but the Bulls still won that game in overtime. There's a home game behind Kyle Korver and C.J. Watson. Uh, so really, just those first two years under Tibbs, that was so much fun, man. It's like, they didn't win a championship, but that's the type of team that, as Bulls fans, we're going to remember forever. Like That was the highest the franchise has been since the Dynasty years, and they only won one conference final game. They never made it to the actual finals. They certainly didn't win the title. 
Uh, but that was really fun. A couple more off the top of my head. Noah's Game 7 against the Nats, I believe it was 2014. when he 13. Was 13, okay. So he's battling plantar fasciitis throughout the end of that year. I actually covered the last regular season game of that year. That was the last time the Bulls credentialed me for a game. They were playing, <laughs> I want to say, the Wizards. Last game of the year, I remember seeing Noah in the locker room with his feet in an ice bucket, just in absolute pain you could tell it was so hard for him to go that was the year i think he was fourth in mvp voting or maybe that was the next that, that year. was the next, the next that was the next year okay but noah was really starting to come into his own yeah. he was like a top flight nba center at that point was slowed down by foot injuries but then he just kicks ass against the nets i believe he threw up a triple double in that game seven yeah he was correct? incredible he was just absolutely incredible the heart and soul of the team so that one jumps out and then all the d rose moments uh, the last one is the one that sticks in my mind the most, maybe, and that's the shot over the Cavs at the buzzer of Game 3 of the Eastern Conference semifinals. That put the Bulls up 2-1. to one. We know how that series ended in the next game. LeBron uh, basically instructs David Blatt on how to run the final play of regulation, <laughs> hits a dagger 3 from the corner on, I think it was Easter, or at least Easter weekend, beats the Bulls. Uh, so that D-Rose moment stands out. The dunk against Dragic stands out. Uh, just so many great D-Rose moments. I mean, I remember when he hung, what, 44 on the Hawks in the second playoffs. round in the yep. playoffs. Uh, that was his career high until he broke it in the Timberwolves last year. So, yeah, what are a few of your favorites? Yeah, so I will go back. I was talking about this on Twitter yesterday. Somebody on Twitter said, like, well, it's like some of the best like individual performances you'd ever seen like in person. Uh, and I'm going to go back to this Bulls-Celtics game from 2010. That was back when, like, tail end of Big 3 Celtics era, I think. I mean, no, that was, like, right in the middle of it. I think the Celtics might have won the... Did they, I think the Lakers might have. Either way, 2010, Celtics were really good. Uh, and that was when Rose kind of... Well, just a huge exclamation point game. I think it might have been the last game of the season or, like, very close. Uh, Rose put up 39 points in that game. It was a TNT game. And then and he just absolutely destroyed Rajon Rondo. Rondo, I looked at this box score again. Rose had like 39, 7, and 5, like 15 of 22 shooting. And Rondo was like 2 of 10 from the field. This is absolutely nothing. And the crowd was going nuts all game, just like just yelling at Rondo and mocking Rondo as Rose just absolutely eviscerated him. And the Bulls, I think, had just qualified for the playoffs right before that. So it was just a really cool atmosphere for a, for a late April regular season game. And just watching Rose destroy Rondo was just a ton of fun. That was great. A couple weeks after that, I then went was also at Bulls-Cavs. Uh, I think it was game three of the first round of the playoffs. And that game, Rose actually was able to score against LeBron James down the stretch of a playoff game, and the Bulls won that game. That was the only game they won of that series, but they won that game. Uh, now, again, really fun atmosphere, just watching Rose go uh, go against LeBron. Uh, before This was before the MVP year. Again, this is when they were, I think they still had Vinny as head coach, and they went like 41-41, and 41 and they were an eight seed that year. But that was a really fun game. There were some obnoxious Cavs fans we were heckling at the game. So that was a lot of fun. Like you mentioned, there's obviously so many other great Rose moments. I I wrote down the Rose Rockets game winner that he hit, or overtime. I don't know if it was a game winner or sent the game to overtime, but he had a ridiculous three pointer to do that. I remember that there one was, vividly. It was against yeah. the Rockets, yeah. Yeah, uh, he had that game winner uh, against the Bucks. I think he hit over Brandon Jennings. Stinky face so, after that one. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a great shot. Obviously, the Dragic thing is legendary. The f- couple dunks that he had in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then Taj also had I think one or two huge dunks. Like I think it was. That that game one of that Eastern Conference Finals in general, that was when I thought they were actually going to the finals. Like they they won that game by like twenty some points at home. I think Taj yammed on Dwayne Wade that game, 
and just like everyone was going nuts. The Bulls looked like the looked like the better team. Then they obviously lost the next four out. I was actually at game two and down the stretch of that game was awful. But yeah, that was a ton of fun. A few of the other things that I have written down here. You mentioned the the Nets series. That whole Nets series, I think in general, was just kind of crazy. Like I think that was like the Luol, that was the Luol Dang. I think uh, cra- uh the what was that? The spinal tap thing. Like Nate Robinson puking in a bucket. Like they had no business winning that series. And Noah basically like willed them to victory in that series. And like Marco Bellinelli, I think was that the big balls dance in that series when he hit that three-pointer? I can't remember if there was that series or if that was another game, but, I mean, that was a really fun moment. Just that whole team, like, super underdogs, and they won that series. I think Jimmy Butler was playing, like, 48 minutes a game in that, that playoff run, because then they came out and they beat the Heat in game one The next in that next series. I think Nate, Nate Robinson went off. Th- those teams, like, we knew, like, they weren't winning a title. With Rose Hurt, but those teams were just fun to root for because they played hard, they they. They they were scrappy as hell. Noah was obviously just a joy to root for. That was like I said, that was when Jimmy was before, was before he was like a superstar, and he was just kind of the work hard, do whatever you need, play forty eight minutes a game, whole thing. So like those teams were really fun to root for. That the Noah twenty like the MVP like chase that he had because that year twenty thirteen fourteen, that was when I think Rose got hurt again, and then Luol Deng I think got traded. So everyone thought the Bulls were gonna tank. And instead, like, Noah and DJ Augustine lead the Bulls to, like, 48 wins. They got their ass beat by the Wizards in the first round. But, I mean, just watching those teams were fun. Because, like, no one really thought anything of them. And they still won a ton of games. Because those teams and Thibs just would always, just, were just crazy. And then, yeah. And then, basically, at, since that Rose 2015 shot against the Cavs, uh, it's been just, like, there hasn't been that much great. Like, Thibs is go- Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler was obviously very good. I was always a Jimmy Butler fan. But, like, how many, like memorable great Jimmy Butler moments have there been like he had the game winner against the Nets right. I think in 2017 obviously that whole 2016-17 season he was he was great individually but like the team was miserable to watch and miserable to root for so it was just kind of like kind of tough like we've been missing like a lot of great Bulls just like there just haven't been that many great Bulls moments like in the last couple years obviously Zach's had some really nice games the Hornets comeback was very memorable uh he had he's had a few good games against jimmy with some game winners uh first against the timberwolves and i think against the sixers zach's coming with some big shots there and like lowry's had some sweet dunks but like overall it just it's it has it's been a while since we've consistently been able to enjoy bulls basketball and been able to enjoy a lot of fun bulls moments and uh i mean i guess hopefully that we'll we'll see them again soon but Right now, again, thirteen and twenty-three, not looking great. Any other ones off the top of your head? I think we've, I think we've kind of covered most of them. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to Nate Robinson as my favorite random yeah. Bulls player of the decade. <laughs> How about when the Bulls snapped the Knicks' long winning yes. streak on yeah. TNT? This was really sort of the start of the TNT Bulls meme. Uh, Nate Rob going at Steve Novak again and again, and at that time <laughs> Novak was doing like a the championship belt, belt celebration yes. that he was calling the discount double check, I believe because him and Aaron Rodgers might have both been in those State Farm commercials. Well, Nate saw that celebration and just did it right back at him. That's one of my favorite things in sports, by the way, is when someone has a signature celebration, uh, doing it to them to taunt them in their face. That's just always hilarious. Love that. So Nate Robb for sure in that game. And then, of course, the Nets game. I mean... Uh, I've never seen anything like that. I remember watching that game. We moved the TV outside at my buddy's place, and we were all sitting outside watching the game. I think Nate Rob went for like 27 or something in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. He ended the night with 34, uh, but he was just absolutely incredible. It was all in the fourth quarter and OT. 
just insane shot making. And uh, I remember Nate Rob after the game said he felt like he was on fire in NBA Jam. And he was just <laughs> shooting whenever he touched the ball. He knew it was going in. So that was my favorite just like weird offbeat game of the decade. And, you know, it goes back to sort of the big picture thing of like, well, if you can't win the championship, is the season really lost? Like, I don't think so. Like, those teams were really fun, even though they weren't good enough to win the championship. The Bulls weren't just, you know, into the playoffs as a seven or eight seed back then. They were like legitimately competitive. Uh, So I wish, you know, I hope the Bulls can get back to that. And really the problem with the current rebuild, Jason, is that, I just don't see a high ceiling on it. And so it's not just like, yeah, we're bad. This is the third year we're bad. This is frustrating. But it's like they don't have any upward mobility in terms of the guys on their team actually developing into star-level players. I don't see that from Levine. I don't see it from Mark. And I do really like Wendell Carter as a high-impact guy, but he's not going to be like a lead offensive initiator or the type of star that really wins you playoff games. So. Man, I, I hope we can get back to that. Maybe the seventh pick this year will uh, will finally be the one that hits. Maybe Kobe will hit, but it's been, it's been a rough few years for Bulls fans, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the TNT Bulls. I meant to mention them as well. I don't even remember what the, the streak is at this point because they haven't been on TNT at home in like three or four years. I think during this rebuild, they haven't been on it. I think it's I think it's at 20 or 21, something like that. They have have not lost a regular season home game Uh on TNT in literally like in like twenty or some games, and that I, I I will take credit for coming up with that because I'm pretty sure I was the one who looked into it and kind of came up with it. So that that was that's also another fun part of it. And I, was, I think the Bulls Heat the streak game I think was part of the TNT Bulls thing was and that game I think the Bulls were down like three or four main guys and because they did that all the time they'd be down they'd be down three or four key guys and they'd come out and they'd. And they'd fucking beat LeBron in the regular season. It just happened at least like once a year where they, they just these underdog Bulls teams would win games. So, yeah. You talk about lead initiators. We're going to wrap up here. The next Bulls game is against Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks, who have been struggling a bit lately, but still going to Dallas. This uh, four-game road trip or home homestand is over now. The Bulls now go on the road for a couple games in Dallas on Monday night to face Luka. I believe Porzingis is still is out right now, so I think the Bulls will catch a, a break there. So the Mavericks have been a, a surprise team this year. They have struggled a bit lately. They they blew a game against the Hornets last night with uh, Devontae Graham going going crazy. He's had a really nice season, but yeah, I mean, it'll be a tough game. The, the Mavs are good. Luka's amazing. So that's the Bulls are going to have their hands full as they try to end this three-game losing streak. Then the Bulls go to New Orleans on Wednesday. Zion is close to coming back. I doubt he's back on Wednesday. He did just go through a practice. Maybe that's his debut. I would guess it'll come maybe mid-January, but that'd be kind of fun if the Bulls played uh, the Pelicans on uh, in Zion's debut. But the Pelicans have also been coming on strongly. I think they've won like four or five in a row. They beat the Kings or, last night. Yeah, they're they're only three games out of the playoff of a playoffs right now, even though they're twelve and twenty-four. Because again, that race for the eight seed is awful in both conferences. Yeah, the Pelicans have won uh, five of six games. Uh, they're on a roll. Uh, Brandon Ingram's been terrific this season. They got Derek Favors back recently. He's really helped. Obviously, they got JJ Redick, Drew Holiday. Just they sh- I feel like they sh- now how they're playing now is how most people expected expected them to play. A lot of people thought they'd be pretty good this season. Uh, and then the Bulls have two more games this week. They got a back to back this week, uh, this upcoming weekend, home against the Pacers, which will be tough. And then at Detroit. Detroit is horrible, but. I mean, road game on the second of a back-to-back, that, that's no gimme as bad as uh, the, the Pistons have been, as, as banged up as they are and how much the Bulls have owned them this season. So I'm not going to count that as a gimme. So another pretty tough week coming up for the Bulls. 
I would probably expect maybe two wins out of this week, but uh, I mean, hopefully they can do better. But it's it's going to be tough. Um, any final thoughts, Ricky? Before we fin- we wrap up here, they're not going to win two games this week. I mean, I guess maybe Detroit and New Orleans, but uh, no, the Bulls suck, dude. That's the problem. <laughs> is that they're a team with poor coaching and with not good enough talent on the roster, and you know it shouldn't be this bad. The fact that this is year three of the rebuild is pathetic, and I'm going to be making this point throughout these podcasts as we do them over the next year, but. From this point forward, Jason, we cannot be, after this season's done, we cannot be calling the Bulls a rebuilding team anymore. At this point, they're just bad. Like, you get three years, you make no progress, you just suck. You're not a rebuilding team anymore. Now I'm getting fired up as we're about to sign off the (laughs) podcast. Uh, Let's end this before we say anything stupid. But thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. Cash considerations. Ricky and Jason, uh, we'll be back next week probably talking about more Bulls losses. See you then. (laughs) Probably. As always, Thank you to Blue Wire. Please, as always, rate and review us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Please do all that stuff. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter. You guys know where to find us. So, yeah, Jason, Ricky, it's from Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls pod. Take it easy. Talk to you guys next week.